The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Good morning. Good to see everybody here today. As you can tell, the pastor chose someone a lot younger, a lot younger to preach this morning. So I'm glad to be with you. And uh, first of all, I want to just, uh, tomorrow is Memorial Day. And it's a day I hope you don't forget when you wake up and you realize you're free. And you're free to live in a country where you can, you know, go where you want, do what you want, and, uh, and sometimes say what you want, right? But uh, that's because of the men and the women who gave their life for us on that battlefield. And so when you wake up tomorrow and you see that American flag, let's give honor where honor's due. And uh, yes. Well, today I'm also here to uh, memorialize a Savior, right? Because uh, he gave his life for us. And this morning, before I start, I want you to see that our title today is a heavenly decree. A heavenly decree. What's a decree? A decree is from God that he has basically proclaimed it can be good or it can be bad. And so today as we look at our text here in Genesis 18 and 19, before I start, I have two questions for you. And I want you to be honest with yourself and, and, and answer these questions as honestly as you can. Can God lie? He can't, can he? Okay. In fact, it says in Numbers 23, 19, that God is not a man that he can lie, or the Son of Man, that he should repent. Hath he said it, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? So we all agree that it's impossible for God to lie to us. He's also called the faithful and the true. So God can always be trusted. His word can always be trusted. And so that's my next question. Can God's word change? No, it cannot. In Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In Psalm 138, 2, it says, For you have exalted your word above your name. That's how powerful the word of God is, that he exalts it above his name. It can't change. It's always going to stay the same. So God has given you and I a book here that we can put our total confidence and trust in because of the character of the one who gave it to us. Now, Abraham believed this about God, and he knew that God couldn't lie to him. He knew that God's word would never change. And because he believed this about God, it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was the father of faith. He was called the father of faith. So here in chapter 18 and 19, we'll see three things that are going to happen. There's going to be a, a promise that comes through fruition. We're going to see a proclamation that leads to destruction. And then we're going to see protection from a detestable behavior. So, I want us to look quickly in Genesis 18, verses 1 through 3. It says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great oak trees of Mamre. While he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and saw three men standing across from him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself toward the ground. Now, when you look at this and you see that word Lord, what does it mean there? 
Well, it has a great meaning. Are you saying that God actually appeared to Abraham? That's exactly what the text is saying here. The word Lord here is Yahweh. And I believe you know what Yahweh is the name that the Jews gave to God. When he told Moses, who are you? He said, I am the I am. I am the Yahweh God. So Abraham, as you know, is now walking and living in a covenant relationship with Almighty God, Yahweh, Almighty God. They call this a theophany. Anytime that God shows up before Christ, before the Holy Spirit, uh, it's called a theophany. God could sometimes manifest himself when he wanted to like this. And so Abraham recognizes God, and he gives him what? The proper respect. He bows in worship to him. He recognizes that there are two men with him. I don't know if he recognized them as angels, but that's who they were. They were angels. But when he looked up, he said it looked like three men. Now, he bowed. He gave proper worship. He invited him in. He showed him hospitality. Now, I, as I thought about that, this is Almighty God in your presence. This is the Holy God of Israel, and now he stands in your presence. And what's so neat about this is the Lord allows Abraham and Sarah to minister to him. You get that? They get to minister to him. And, and God accepts this invitation. It says here in verse 8, He then brought butter and milk, and, and the, Sarah had prepared a calf, and they set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Is that not awesome? That here you have mankind ministering to Almighty God. As I thought about that, every day you awaken is another day that you and I get to minister to God. And you say, well, Butch, how can I do that? Well, as I thought about it, how can I minister to God when I woke up this morning? How can I minister to God when I wake up tomorrow morning? I believe Paul wrote about this over in Romans where he says, present ourselves unto him as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto him, which is our reasonable service, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Every day that you and I awaken, we have this great opportunity to wake up and this privilege to present myself to God once again for this day, to take me, to fill me, to use me for his glory and for his kingdom. But now, there's also another reason why we see the Lord here with the angels appearing to Abraham. You see, God has some personal business to attend to, and it's a bigger plan than what Abraham understands right now. And so, we're about to see that the Lord has a threefold purpose that is about to unfold before our eyes in these chapters. One is the promise of God that is about to be displayed, okay? The second is the proclamation of God that's about to lead to destruction. And the third is the protection of God from detestable behavior. So God's purpose here is, number one, promote Abraham, pronounce judgment, and to protect Lot. So that's why God is there. If God shows up in your life, it's for, it's for a specific purpose, and he has a specific reason. So I want us to look at verse 10 here where we see the promise of God that is about to be displayed. It says, one of them said, I will certainly return to you this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was in the tent door behind, and you remember back in chapter 17, this was a covenant promise. 
Abraham. They were going to enter into a covenant. They had entered into a covenant relationship. The pastor preached on it last week. They sealed it with circumcision. So now it was the promise was coming to fruition. It was the promise of a fruitful womb. God's word always comes true, folks. When he tells you something, he's going to do it. Just mark it down. Now, Sarah was listening in. Now, I'm not going to accuse Sarah of eavesdropping, okay? But the fact of the matter is, if God showed up in your house like this, and he's in there talking to one of your loved ones, you might just have the tendency to get as close as you can to hear what's going on. I think I would. In fact, I know I would. If he showed up telling Debbie, I would want to know if he's talking about me. So... Anyway, in this conversation, Sarah, she got tickled. I mean, this was, it, she started laughing to herself. Now, verse 12, therefore Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am so old and my Lord is so old, shall I have pleasure? She was 90 something years old. The word of God was about to be fulfilled. But you know what? You do know that God knew exactly what she had done, for it says that he asked Abraham, why does Sarah laugh? Or why does she think this is so funny? You know, as I thought about that, this thought came to me. Your private thoughts are a public message to God. So the next time you're driving down the road thinking about something, you do know that God knows what you're thinking, right? So if you're making, asking, you're sitting there thinking, where'd your hair go, Butch? God knows you're making fun of me like that. In verse 14, God wants Abraham and Sarah to know one thing here from the scriptures, folks. You see, he was in covenant. When God moved into your heart and you coveted in this relationship by faith in his son, Jesus Christ, he wants you to know the thing that is true about his nature. Is there anything too difficult for me? Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? Are you in a situation in your life right now where you need God to show up? Keep seeking Him. Keep asking Him. Keep going after Him. Why? He'll show up. He promised. He said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. And so here God confirms His promise about Isaac. Within the year, he will be born. And then the Lord has something else on his heart. And it's a decree from the Lord that one is a wonderful message. And then the other decree is a decree that's about to lead to destruction. So this decree is, number one, to promote Abraham. Number two, pronounce judgment. One is good. One is bad. So let's look at uh, 16 through 23 in chapter 18 here. It says, then the men rose up and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Should I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham will surely become a great nation and a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him, I chose him. And he will instruct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he's promised. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Okay, there's another decree. 
the angels are there with God because they've got an assignment. Yeah, number one, to meet with Abraham with the covenant blessing. But number two, there is a decree and a mandate that God is a mission that God is sending them on. And so we're about to see before that happens, though, the good, the promotion of Abraham. In this verse 19, it says, I chose him. I chose Abraham. You know, if you go to Romans 3, I want you to understand something. Nobody seeks God. He chooses you. Now, if you respond by faith, you're accepted. If you don't respond by faith, you're rejected. That's just the way it is, folks. God gives us a choice. He gives everybody the opportunity to say yes or no. And so God chose him. When Abraham believed God and his promises, and he stepped out in faith in God and his word, guess what? The relationship was sealed with a covenant, a circumcision. Today, when you step out in faith and you receive Christ into your life and you place your total faith and trust in Him, you know what happens? You're sealed by the Holy Spirit of God to the day of redemption. There's a seal back then. There's a seal now. The Holy Spirit seals us, okay? And He'll never leave you from that point in your life and never forsake you because you belong to Him. And it also, he gave him in this promise that he would become a great and mighty nation and that all the nations on earth would be blessed by him. If you don't believe that, go to Revelation, look in the end day, and it says all nations, tribes, and tongues stand before the Lord. These are children of Abraham, and they're being blessed in the end, just like God said from the beginning. His word can't change. Now, Abraham would do something else that's very important. He would instruct his children, his household, after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord, what, would bring to fruition everything that he had promised. Now, if you look back, Abraham was a missionary. He may have been the first missionary, I don't know. But the thing is, he was a missionary and he was a discipler, not only to his family, but to his entire household. He is known as the father of faith. Why? Because of his steadfast faith in God and God's promises, his unquestioning obedience to God, and his constant seeking of God. Here in verse 20, we see God abruptly now changing his focus. He's delivered this message to Abraham. He goes from promoting Abraham to pronouncing judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, it's a proclamation that leads to destruction. So here in verse 20 and 21, the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has come to me. If not, I will know. The men then turned away from there and went towards Sodom. And Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Now, when the Lord said this outcry is so bad, what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah? We're about to find out. It must be pretty grave. It's a sin. It's a lot of things going on there that God says, I've got to pronounce judgment. Why does God to pronounce judgment on people? Well, we're about to find out why. And basically, the angels are going down there to check it out, to see if it's as bad as what God has been hearing. Can I tell you something? God already knew. He already knew. You see, this decree from the Lord, it began to grieve Abraham's heart. You know why? He had fought with the king of Sodom. His nephew lived down in Sodom. There's probably people 
that Abraham knew in Sodom and Gomorrah, and his heart was broken, and he asked the Lord, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, I want to say something about our God. He's fair. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. And you know what? He allowed Abraham to intercede on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities. And he got God down to 10 people. It started off at 50, got God down to 10. And he says, okay, Abraham, if I can find just 10 people in this entire region that are righteous, I will abstain my judgment from them. So after God finished speaking, he left. The angels had left. Now we jump over here to verse 19. And I need to read quite a bit of scripture here, 1 through 11, so we get what God's doing. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Then he said, Here, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, and that you may rise and early and then go your way. And they said, No, we'll stay out in the open square all night. But he strongly insisted. So they turned aside with him and entered his house. Then he made a feast, and he baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. Then they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may have relationships with them. So Lot went out through the door to them and shut the door behind them. Then he said, Please, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Look, I have two daughters that have not been with a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they replied, Stand back. Also they said, This man came here as an alien, and he keeps acting like a judge. We will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came close to breaking down the door. But the men inside, the angels, who nobody knew they were angels at this time, they reached out and they pulled Abraham in. They struck the men at the door of the house, both great and small, with blindness. So they wore themselves out, groping for the door. What we have here are two angels on a mission for God. And they have two things that God desires. You do know angels are messengers of God. Look through Scripture. That's their, their messenger of God. They're on a divine mission. One was to proclaim the destruction of Sodom. And second was to protect Lot from this detestable behavior. So how did Lot, in the first place, find himself in this mess? Anybody remember? Go back to chapter 13 in Genesis. When Abraham and Lot decided to split up, guess what? Abraham being the gentleman, the man of God he was, he gave Lot the choice. Well, as Lot looked out across that valley of the Jordan and he looked toward Sodom, he said, man, I see water, I see fields, I see this, I see that. Boy, that's where I want to go. Now, he did. That's what he did. Abraham said, okay, take off, go your way, and he did. But it also says he pitched his tent as far as Sodom. Okay, what does that mean? Well, if you look in verse 13, there was a problem. Even then, it says the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinners against the Lord. Oh, what Lot did was move into a hotbed of immorality and wickedness. 
It looked good. It never mentions him seeking the Lord to determine his direction in life. You see, Lot chose by sight and not by faith. Abraham walked by faith, Lot by sight. Abraham was blessed, Lot was distressed. That's what walking by sight will get you. Lot is the picture of a Christian who wants to fit in. He wants, his get the, he wants to get as close to this world as possible. What did Jesus say? If any man loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. Instead of leaving Sodom, he thought, I'll just fit in, I'll just get along, I'll keep my mouth shut. But boy, was he dead wrong. If you go and look in 2 Peter 2.8, it says, Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. You see, I'm going to tell you something. A true Christian can never be comfortable in their sin or around sin. If you're here today and you call yourself a child of God and you're comfortable in sin, somebody's lying and it's not God. You're being lied to. You're lying to yourself. You can't live in sin and be close to God. It's impossible. That's like saying there's a heavenly devil. It's impossible. You see, Lot was stuck. He was stuck. You ever been stuck in your sin? You ever been stuck in your carnal choices? Well, he now had a wife from Sodom. He had two daughters who were born there, who were engaged to two men there. You see, Lot was tolerated just as long as he kept quiet and fit into their way of thinking. Anyway, that was their perception of Lot. He kept quiet. He sat at the gate, and we'll find out in a minute. Those who judge sit at the gate. He thought he belongs. You're going to find out he didn't belong. So the angels arrive at the city gate. They appeared as men. They, they didn't appear as angels. He saw. He invited him in. At first, the angels refused. But, you know, Lot says he strongly insisted that they come stay with him. Why? Because he knew what went on in the city square. Folks, that would be like you taking a pocket full of money and walking through the streets of Atlanta at 2 or 3 in the morning. I was a policeman for 33 years. And can I tell you something? If I saw you walking around, I said, you better get out. You're about to get hurt. You're about to be a victim because there's predators that roam our streets looking for the opportunities to take advantage of people just like you. Lot knew this. It says that he was tormented day and night because he knew what was going on. At first, the angels refused, and now he said, yes, come on in. They accepted. He gave them hospitality. If you look here at verse 4 and 5, what does it say? Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. Uh-oh. You know who this is? Everybody. Everybody. Everybody surrounded the house. They called out the lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Somebody had snitched them out. Somebody had, they knew they were at Lot's house. Bring them out to us so that we may have relations to them, with them. Your translation may say to know them. Okay? The word in Hebrew is the word yada. It means to have intimate relations, to have sex with. So make no mistake, their intentions were evil and vile. But before we deal with this issue here, 
there's something out. We need to see here, folks. This, this is what disturbs me. It says both old and young from every quarter of that place came to participate in homosexual gang rape on these men. Young and old. What's happened here? Look at the contrast. What did we just see with Abraham? God says, Abraham will be the what? The father of his children and his household. He will teach them to keep the way of the Lord, to keep righteousness and justice. So here we've got Abraham as a father that's to teach his children the way of the Lord and what God says. Now we've got the men of Sodom who have done what? They have taught their children that this lifestyle, this violence, this violent way of life is acceptable. Now, folks, this is not an isolated incident. This practice had been occurring for some time. Now, even the young people had become indoctrinated into this belief system, and it was now accepted as normal behavior. That's why the angels were there. Do you remember in Deuteronomy 5? Listen to this, folks. This is your responsibility, parents and grandparents. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. So you see, the men of Sodom had become twisted, perverted, and violent. They had taught their children so well that everyone in the city now was indoctrinated and had believed this eternal lie that was about to cause eternal damnation. Sodom, Gomorrah, and the surrounding cities had been involved in wickedness and perversion for a long time. And God is judging them because their hearts now were in total rebellion against Almighty God. Folks, how does this condemnation and indictment from God happen to a people? How? Well, it becomes an accepted practice. I talked to my 13-year-old granddaughter the other night, and I asked her, is this practice accepted in your school? Oh, yes. I had two teachers come out and celebrate that they had come out. They're free now. They're free to live the way they want. I have students that tell me all the time that I go to school with. My best friend is gay, and they're telling me I need to practice this gay lifestyle. Okay. God will give you over to your choice. You have a choice. You have a right to choose. And I'm not going to condemn you for your choice. That's not up to me. I'm here to warn you of your choice today. Okay? So how does this condemnation happen? How does a, a God have to come against a nation with an internal indictment and says, No more in my presence shall you live? Well, it's an accepted practice. You see here... Paul wrote about it in Romans 1, 21. He said, they refuse to acknowledge the true and the living God and give glory and thanks to God. So, number one, they deny God. That's what happens. Look across our culture right now. Folks, they're falling away. The church is falling away. God said in the last days, you're going to have a falling away. They're going to believe doctrines of demons and devils. That's what's happening. 
Anything that is contrary to the Word of God is a doctrine of a demon or a devil. It does not come from God. You told me a minute ago you believed the Word of God was true. You told me a minute ago you believed God was God, and He can't change. So you tell me when God changed His mind. Can I tell you something? You're not going to change His mind. So they refused to acknowledge the true and the living God and give Him glory and thanks. It says, then they became futile in their imaginations and their foolish hearts were darkened. The further you get away from light, the darker it gets. The further you get into sin, the more it becomes accepted. Your heart, your heart gets calloused. You see, it says they claim to be wise, but they become fools. They become idolaters. They begin to worship the creation rather than the creator, which means they worship the earth. Look at what's going on. Look at everything right now. Man is worshiping, but the true and the living God. And you know what happens? God gives them over to the uncleanness of their lust to dishonor their bodies among themselves. You see, it comes a point. If you want to go that way, God will say, you go that way, and I will let you go that way. I'm not going to change you. The Holy Spirit's not going to stop you. That's your choice. God gave you a free will to choose. But he says, once you choose, and once you go this far, I'm going to turn you over to your lust. And then what did they do? They turned the truth of God into a lie. And now they worship and serve creation themselves and what they can see and what they can build with their hands and what they can gather rather than the true and the living God. And then, folks, it goes deeper than this. It says God gives them over to dishonorable and vile passions. Then what is the next result? When this happens, we see women leaving the natural function for what is against nature. Likewise, the men leave the natural function of the woman, and they burn in their lust toward one another. Men with men doing what is shameful, and then what happens? It says they receive the penalty for their error. Wait a minute. Error? Somebody's in error here, and it's not God. We are in error. We have denied the true and the living God. So before I started this message, I asked you where you stood with God. So, do you really believe him? Do you really believe his word? Or do you want to try to change it? See, that's two things that will happen that I'm seeing as a minister. You'll either accept the word of God as the word of God, or you'll try to change the word of God. One of two things, or you'll ignore it. Three things, I guess you could just ignore it. I don't believe it. That's okay. If you want to do, if you want to live that way, that's your choice. Go ahead. And, and guess what? God said, that's fine. You go do it. Well, so the society in which we live in has attempted to change the Word of God. How? They've rewritten the laws and the statutes when it comes to family, sexuality, and sexual identity. Now, I'm almost 67 years old. I know I don't look it. <laughs> I grew up hearing this. I grew up in the hippie generation, okay? You know, this is what I used to hear. Don't force your morality on me. Don't you come around preaching to me, forcing your morality on me. Butch, don't you know there's a thing called separation of church and state? You don't mix religion and politics. Did anybody else hear that? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it sounds good. It, and, and just like Lot, you know what? We just wanted to fit in. 
Let's not rock the boat. Let's keep our mouth shut even when we don't agree. Well, how's that work out for you? We're now being forced by man's law to accept immorality as normal. If you don't agree, you're intolerant. You're judging because everybody has a right to express themselves and the freedom to do it. So now they're forcing their immorality on you. You're supposed to agree. You're supposed to accept it. Well, now the state, the government has invaded the church. How? They pass laws that are contrary to the Word of God. So, now we have those who think they know more than God, and they're just going to rewrite His law. Why? Because they don't like it. So, when Lot finally stood up against this wickedness and this immorality, in verse 7, Please, my brother, do not act so wickedly. He even offered his two daughters, virgins, to these men. Folks, I don't get that. I'm not offering my children or my grandchildren to anybody that's perverted and wicked. I'm trying to save my daughters and my grandchildren from this perversion and this wickedness. But you know what? That could not appease this lust that was in those men. And they replied, get out of our way, Lot. Stand back. This man came here as an alien. Oh, you see how they thought about him, right? He's still an alien. didn't matter that he had married a wife, had kids, lived in their land, been there for a while. He was still an alien. He didn't fit in. He didn't fit in. I'm telling you, Christian, if you want to go out here in this world and you want to try to fit in with that, if you're really a child of God, they know that you're different. You're not like them. So, not only is he here acting like a judge and criticizing us, he finally took a stand against this wicked position, and now they come against him. The true them comes out. And what do they want to do? We're going to do worse to you than what we do to these men. So you see, as soon as they were confronted, and Lot called this sin what it was, perversion and wickedness, they turned on him. All of a sudden, you see the hatred the vile, the desire to humiliate and destroy you because you disagree. You don't have the right to speak to me like that. And all Lot was trying to do was protect. Well, we see the third and final decree from God, the protection of God from this detectable behavior. They were there on a rescue mission for Lot and his family. But the men had to reach out jerk Lot back into the house, shut the door, and strike them with blindness. Look at verse 13. We are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has grown great in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Folks, God hadn't told me, and I'm, I'm, I'm just somebody proclaiming His Word, I don't know where America is and how far we are from final judgment. But I can say this, the wickedness in our land is growing in the presence of Almighty God. But I want to say something to you today, folks. As you ask me, what do I do here? I'm, I'm a counselor here. And, and if you get sick, I'll come see you in the hospital. If you die, I'll preach your funeral. If you want to get married, I'll marry you. But... I'm really here to tell you the truth. Why? 
because the truth sets you free. I've talked to people in this condition. They're suicidal, a lot of them. They're conflicted. They're hurt. They're wounded. They're traumatized. Many of them have been sexually molested as children. Their sexual identity has been totally misguided. And so it's not my position to condemn them. It's my position to help them see that in Psalm 147.3, God says, I am the God that binds up the broken in heart and heals the wound. Folks, it's pretty easy. If you look inside your heart today and be honest with yourself, you know what? We will not examine ourselves, will we? We won't look inside to see what's really in our hearts. But I want you to look in your heart today. Is there a peace missing? Do you still carry a hurt in there? Is your heart fractured? You know what? You know it. You know it. What did God say? Don't turn to anything or anyone or any substance or anywhere else but the cross. I am the God that will bind up the brokenness you carry on the inside. I am the God that will heal you from the pain you carry. I know you're conflicted. I know you're hurt. I know that person traumatized you. I know that person molested you. I know what went on in your life. Come to me. Let me bring you out. Let me restore you. Let me heal you. Do not turn away from me. All this darkness is going to do is take you further and further and further away from the God that came to heal you and save you. Folks, that's why I'm here. I've been through trauma. I've been through this pain. I've had to have the Lord come and heal my heart because it was in broken pieces. I had to bring every one of those broken pieces to the cross and hand it over to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, you are the God that can. You're the God that promised. Can I say, if you're in pain today, I sympathize with you. If you feel rejected and abandoned today, I sympathize with you. I've been there. I felt it. I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like to weep before God and say, Father, I don't know what's wrong. Heal my heart. It's broken into a million pieces. But you promised in your word. Folks, I had a miraculous encounter. I prayed eight years. Eight years, every day, for God to show me what was in my heart because I knew something was still there. And then that day, God showed up. In my home, my wife can attest, he showed up. And he spoke. He spoke. I heard his voice. And he said, Butch. And he told me what it was. And I said, Lord, you reveal something nobody's ever told me, God. It was hidden. But the enemy knew it was hidden. And God spoke. And you know what happened? I was able to heal. And you know what happened? My heart is whole today, folks. God put it back together. He kept his word to me, and he'll keep his word to you. What did we say? We do not have a God that can lie to us. 
Or the Son of Man who's going to lie to us? Hath he said it and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? And so, folks, I pray for our nation that we do not come to this destruction. But there's only one way out. There's only one way out. It's not you walking away from God and wanting to do it your way. It's you finally coming to God and saying, God, I'm ready to do it your way. Now, folks, there's only one way. That's it. And before you leave here today, I want you to understand something. I don't care what lifestyle you're in. If it's a homosexual, bisexual, transsexual, if you go all the way down the scale right there, it doesn't matter where you're at. If you're here today and all of a sudden you start to feel a drawing in your spirit, you know, I've heard the word today. I feel God pulling, tugging on my heart today. I know I have to make a decision today. Can I tell you something? A while ago I said, no man seeks God. Can I tell you something? That's God seeking you. He's pulling you to himself. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you too much to let you stay in your sin and your bondage and your wickedness and perversion. But you know what's so good about this? He who knew no sin became sin for you so that you could now become the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus the Lord. By how? Faith in him. Trust in him. Just like Abraham. Do you want to be known as a child of faith? then you're going to have to put your faith in him and his word. There's three kind of people in here today. There's three. There's, there's three. We see it right here. We see those that are walking by faith in the spirit of God. You're not perfect, but you know what? You confess your sin immediately. You get up. You move on. You keep walking with God day by day. You keep presenting yourself every day to God when you wake up as a living sacrifice, asking the Spirit of God to take over. You know what? It's like I heard a guy say the other day, every day you wake up, you should have a funeral the first thing. You should die to yourself and present yourself to God. That's the first person. The second person we have in here, there's people that are truly saved, but you're trying to live in the world. How did that work out for Lot? Read the rest of the story. He lost his wife. He lost his home. He lost his son-in-laws. His daughters ended up getting drunk, committing the same sin that was going on in Sodom, incest, against their father. They both had uh, children. And you know what happened to one of the tribes that his children was conceived in? Totally eliminated from the face of the earth. How'd that work out? How does carnal Christianity work out? I hate to say that. But folks, how many of you guys are in pornography trying to hide it from God? There's some of you out here. I know it. You're in pornography. You think you can get by with that forever? Be sure your sin will find you out. You can't live there. You can't stay there. What are you doing when you're away from home? What are you reading? What are you looking at? Where does your mind go? What did I say a while ago about your secret thoughts? Public information in heaven. See, God knows your heart. He knows where you're at. He knew where Lot was at. He had to go do a rescue mission to get him out. Can I tell you something? God's here to do a rescue mission and pull you out today. But you're going to have to repent. You're going to have to come out. 
You're going to have to say enough is enough. I don't want to live lukewarm anymore. I don't want to try to keep one foot in heaven and one foot in hell. It don't work like that. Come out from among them and be separate. I pray the Spirit of God is calling you to come out today. And then there's some of you here, you're in Sodom. You're lost. You don't know God. You know about Him. You don't know Him. See, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. He talks to you. His word becomes your word. His thoughts become your thoughts. His deeds become your deeds. So where are you? It doesn't matter where you're at. You can come to Jesus today. Come out and be separate. And I'm going to pray, and wherever you're at, just do business with God. Be honest with God for once in your life. And let him pull you out of the bondage and the sin. If you need healing, he's your healer. If you need help, we're here to help you. That's what we're here for. I have counselors full-time over here in this trailer. I'm here to counsel. We're here to help you be free. Why? Because we, too, at one time were in bondage. We, too, at one time needed somebody to come and help us and pull us out and help us begin to walk with Jesus. So this morning... I'm not here to condemn anybody. And God doesn't condemn anybody. He condemns the practice. Their practice was in rebellion from the way God created them. He doesn't want to condemn the person. And so let's pray. Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.